Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Oh, dear friends, thank you for joining us again on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, your host. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Uh, how's the weather down there in South Louisiana, Frank? Have you gotten it, to your day of spring yet? <laughs> it is spring out there today. It's about 58 degrees and low humidity, and you'd think we were living in California. Oh, my goodness. And for our Canadian friends, that's not 58 Celsius. <laughs> All right, friends, if you've joined us for the first time, you've caught us in the middle of our current series, which we call Life in the Body of Christ, the One Another's. It's about how Frank and I feel that God not just designed us, but equipped us for kingdom living on earth. And we've been plowing through the One Another's of Scripture. Today's, my friend, is another hard one. Be at peace with one another. And this comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 50 which simply says, be at peace with one another. Now, how can it be more simple, right? Be at peace. But as we talked about when we considered compassion a few episodes earlier, this doesn't mean just be at peace, Frank. Like, just don't be in conflict with people. This means to purposefully act peacefully, basically to do everything possible everything in your power to make peace. So this is just not sitting in a corner, not bothering anybody, not talking to anybody, staying away. This is a proactive effort, a consistent effort to bring peace with us wherever we go. It makes it a little more difficult, doesn't it, my friend? Yes, John, as I was listening to you, the thing that popped in my brain was, you know, in Romans 5, he says, we have peace with God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, as we say so often here, universal law, you can't give what you don't have. We have peace with God. And we then can have peace with other people because it's something we possess. But it's something we have to realize, especially in the church, we should have peace. If you look at some scripture, in Ephesians 2, he says he took Jews, he took Gentiles, and by the way, there's no other people besides that, and he says he made them one, breaking down the wall that separated them And now we have peace. So in the church, we should especially have peace with each other because we are one. And boy, you can go later in Ephesians. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, one body. And he he taught the same thing in Galatians 3.28. There isn't Jew nor free anymore, slave nor free, male or female even. We are one in the body of Christ. And so this is something we have already. So the real task upon us, at least in the church, 
is to practice what we have and live in peace. And that's where I think, listen to Romans 12 just popped in my brain. And this we can start to investigate maybe, John. It says in Romans 12, in so far as it lies with you, pursue peace. That is a loaded statement. Oh, yes. It says we've got to do everything we can to have peace. But then I think the conclusion would be if you've done everything you can and you don't have peace with someone, then you're called to peace. But the question really is, have you done everything you really could to establish or reestablish the peace that you already possess with another believer? That's right. And that's a question that the Holy Spirit and he alone can lead us. Let's pause that for a minute, Frank, because I want to make a comment that will lead up to that a little more, a little more carefully. Okay. And this is when it comes to being at peace with someone, it's important for us to realize that we don't always have to agree with them. Mm. We can hold very differing opinions. After all, God is at peace with us. We're at peace with God. But when we choose to sin, God certainly doesn't share that opinion. Nonetheless, the peace is still there because peace just simply means that there's openness. There's no barrier. There's no obstacle. There's no stumbling block. That relationship is always possible. So even when, getting back to your comment on Romans, even when we do everything we can and there still is not a peaceful relationship between us and other people, we must always be willing. Peace means we are willing to establish relationship, you know, and go back and resolve the issues because they're always accepted by us, no matter Mm. how they might believe. And Mm. so this again gets back to a fundamental mindset of how we approach those with whom we have conflict or disagreement. Hmm. Yeah, the verse that popped in my head as I was listening to you, John, was in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, we are not to look at anyone ever again after the flesh. And so we're not to look at them for what they do, what they think, how they're feeling, all that kind of thing. We look at them, if it's a believer, as someone who is in intimate relationship, not only with Jesus, but with myself already as a member of the body. But even when it's a non-believer, we don't look at them after the flesh either. We look at them in the eyes of Christ. It's somebody he died for that has not yet entered in through faith. And boy, that'll change your perspective in how you approach people, especially when you have differences or conflict. You know, another thought I had, John, was a lot of times it's perception that's causing the conflict. I see things like you said something, you throw something at me and I go, I can't believe you just said that. But you really didn't say it. It's just kind of how I filtered it. And that can cause a lot of conflict. So I think in this thing, this thing called peace, it's a possession, but it's not easy to practice. And it's even more difficult sometimes to preserve. Yes, indeed, because uh, there are a lot of things out there, a lot of people, a lot of choices, a lot of actions, a lot of circumstances that will uh, knock us off kilter. They'll make Mm -hmm. us lose our stride. They truly will. When we're running our race, 
The enemy loves to place perfectly tailored obstacles in our lanes, temptations, things that'll cause us to take our eyes off Jesus and put our eyes elsewhere on ourselves or on other people. And so this is a warfare that we constantly will have to battle. So this, this means we've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And a lot of times, my friend, some people will do things that are just absolutely wrong. Uh, they're distasteful, they're sinful, they're evil. And having being at peace with them doesn't mean that we accept or condone their behavior, but we accept them so that the opportunity for relationship is still maintained. That's an important difference because peace isn't just everybody getting along, uh, singing Kumbaya, and I accept you and you accept me. Peace is being willing to enter relationship, tied up with forgiveness for every offense they're going to throw at us, being always willing to be, you said it, my friend, salt. And we'll talk about salt in just a minute, but this is a tough thing to walk, even when we are trusting Jesus, because the world just argues so strongly in our mind. Well, you know, as soon as, uh, let me put it this way, John, I think one of our biggest struggles in preserving peace among the body and with members in the body and then securing peace with unbelievers is a lot of times we have this thing called expectations. And one of the things I've tried to teach people over the years is that expectations are really law. And anytime you have law, you have a demand. You have a demand for someone to fulfill the law or meet the standard. And we know from scripture, when somebody doesn't fulfill the demand, the law will usher forth death and condemnation. And this is a big issue. And I hope the listeners are hearing it. I'm going to be very facetious, but illustrate this. I was away speaking at a retreat and I come home late at night and I'm tired, but I haven't seen Janet for several days. And if the kids are still in the house and when I come home, I expect the kids to be in bed and her to meet me at the door in a black gown with a rose in her teeth and a candlelight dinner. Well, when I come home and the kids are running through the house, screaming and yelling, and she's in a robe and curlers, well, or whatever, she didn't meet the expectations. And so the law is going to have to kill and condemn her. And I've just found in my own life that if I really want to experience peace with people, I really need to have very few expectations because the bottom line is I can have expectations that I shouldn't have. And they're living in a world that very often isn't going to let them fulfill my expectations. Yeah, that's for and sure. we can go a long way towards preserving or securing peace with having little expectations of other people. You know, it's interesting you said that because you hit on the, the key to this verse. I read just a section of Mark 950. Uh, the, the full phrase reads like this, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another which means having salt in yourself is a prerequisite to peace. So we'll Mm. spend a few minutes talking about what salt is, but you touched on it. That is walking into a situation with very few expectations. 
except that the house isn't going to be burned down and your, your kids aren't going to be uh, running the streets. So walking in with low expectations, trusting our father uh, to show up in a mighty way. So let's spend a few minutes talking about what it means to be salted, Frank. Wow. Being a, a scientist type of guy, I did a little homework. And as I see it, salt has two purposes. First, mm -hmm. we make things tasty, right? Okay, you sprinkle mm -hmm. salt on there, it enhances the flavor. It makes whatever you're eating, at least in my mind, more mm -hmm. attractive, more tasteful. And so there's a way that we need to be salt in that we're attractive and tasteful to the world. I mean, who wants to, to come to Jesus through a person whose choices, actions, and attitudes are just repugnant? No, mm -hmm. of course not. But there's another one, another reason, another purpose for salt. Salt is a preservative. Now, in your salt shaker on your table, it never goes bad. Um, in South Louisiana, it might get clumpy because of humidity, but it doesn't go <laughs> bad. But what makes salt go bad is when you dilute it. Too much dilution, when you mix it with other things, you can't taste the salt anymore, and it won't preserve anything. And so I see two thoughts here, Frank, we can follow, and you can choose whichever one you want to follow first. Uh, the first is making ourselves attractive and a good representative, a good ambassador of our Lord. And the second is, is to keep pure, to not be deluded by the concerns of the world, uh, the world's values, power, reputation, authority, money, beauty, you know, the list goes on, but not be so consumed by those that we lose our ability to act as a preservative in the world. Okay, mm. shoot, choose your path. <laughs> Let's take the first one, that idea of being tasteful. One of the things I often tell people is that acceptance is the most powerful weapon we have as believers to other believers and people in the world. Nobody was ever afraid to go into Jesus' presence not the greatest sinner and not the worst enemy. He lived a salt life. He was someone who they could be in his presence and he would taste good, his relationship, his presence, his expression. He was safe. That'd probably be one of the best words I can use. And John, you know, as I travel around and talk to people, inevitably, I'll have people come up to me after I've taught them the grace of God, and they'll say, boy, I've really learned the grace of God, or I walk in the grace, or I teach grace. And very often, I'll, <laughs> I'll mess with them a little, and I say, is your spouse here? I'd like to talk to him. <laughs> and you should see him backtrack. Those, I'm learning. I'm learning. I thought that's what you said. <laughs> Here's a test that I ask people. If you really want to know how well you're doing in this issue of walking in grace, living a life that functions like salt, where being in your presence is a good taste, go to the people closest to you and ask them, and please be honest, are you able to relax around me and be yourself, or do you have to be on guard with the words that you say and the way that you act around me. And that's going to be a really good indicator of whether you are functioning as salt to other people and bringing them a, a spirit of peace. 
All right. And you know, when we're not salty, my friend, it's okay because mm -hmm. we're in process. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to add to scripture here. The Spirit's job is to make our salt more pure so mm -hmm. it can be more preserving and more tasty. And, you know, when we start out, my goodness, there's not a whole lot of salt flavor to us at all. Mm -hmm. But in time, as we walk with our Father, He begins to teach us, shape us, hone us by the things we suffer, the struggles of this world. And as we learn to depend on Him to a greater and greater degree, that salt becomes progressively more evident in our lives, doesn't it? Mm. Yes, and, and that equips us to tackle that second one, to function in a way that preserves others. If we're really going to function as salt with the love and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's really not about people meeting our expectations uh, so much as us living in such a way that they are preserved even when they don't meet our expectations. And that is, you know, boy, as soon as you said that context of that, be at peace, but the phrase before, to be as salt, boy, my spirit just went, whoa, that is powerful. Yeah. And you know, my friend, this is not just related to our own life, our own walk, but you know, when we, when we come against unbelievers, like in our last episode, we talked a lot about our relationship with unbelievers and having patience with them. If we are truly salt, then the more we hang out with them, the more we share our life with them, the more that salt can be effective in their lives as well. Once they get a taste, that salt, once they choose it, can begin to preserve them as well. So this is really key for our efforts to to evangelize, to be ambassadors, to share the news about the kingdom. Because if we don't present ourselves as a salty person, hmm. then there's going to be pretty limited impact that we'll have in this world for our father. Yeah. John, I have one other thought here, and this will put a 180 on it. But, you know, this preserving of peace and establishing peace is a two-way street. We've been talking all about when people do something to us. But, you know, the flip side is we don't meet the expectations that other people put on us. And that can put a real disruption in the relationship. And again, they maybe ought to not have so many expectations. But not just that. In any relationship, we're going to fail that person sometimes. We're going to say the harsh word or, or relationally, our our behavior, we might make a poor decision or, you know, in any number of ways that we can let other people down in terms of failing to love them. And I think one of the things we really, really desperately need to learn, I hope our listeners clue in here, is that when we're the one that's broken the peace or disrupted the peace, we need to learn some magic words. And those are this, I was wrong. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you are not firmly walking in him, you're going to find it hard to say those words. You're going to say things like, I was wrong to say that, but you were wrong to do that first, you know, or I was wrong, but you were wrong too. 
or I was wrong, but I'm tired. I was wrong, but I had a bad day. And the bottom line is anything that comes after that, but you're acting like a but. The magic words are, I was wrong. And then I add usually these words. Will you please forgive me? And what do I need to do to make this right? That is not only thinking as salt, John, but it's living as salt. Uh, please forgive me. What do I need to do to make this right? I have to take total and complete responsibility for my part in the disruption of peace. I can't make you play your part. And if I try to do that, uh, my part is going to be minimized because you'll only hear that I'm trying to control or manipulate you. And you will not hear what I just offered to you as my responsibility. It's just, I've seen it so many times over the years in relationship. That's right. Um, so this raises a question, my friend. All of us struggle with diluted salt, running with that metaphor. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have continuing struggles. The sins that continually plague us you know, mm -hmm. if I were to ask our listeners right now, what are your top four sins, the fab four, so to speak, I'm <laughs> sure the, the Holy Spirit would pop them into your mind uh, almost immediately, because we know, we know where we struggle, we know what our, where our, our difficulty lies. And so we need to realize that we in our choices continue to dilute our saltiness because we continue to choose to sin. When I think about this, I think of Psalm 139. And the, the passage that has so much applicability to almost every circumstance I face, and it's this, right? Search me, oh God. Mm. Show me where the wicked ways are. Because here's something, my friends. You've got your fab four things that dilute your salt. But I tell you what, there are others there too that you are not aware of that are influencing the way you impact the world. And so I go to Psalm 139, Father, show me what is in me that's interfering first with my relationship with you and second with my relationship with those around me. Would you please show me? Hmm. And so when we do that, I'll give a warning. Sometimes we need to buckle our seatbelts because Father can bring something to our minds that we perhaps have never realized before. Hmm. And so then that becomes the journey of, the next time that pops up and you offend somebody. Wow. I apologize for that. It was wrong of me. I've been doing this for years and I didn't know it. Would you please forgive me? You know, how, how can I, how can I repair the damage that I have done to you? Boy, those are magic words, you know, especially if you're in the midst of a conflict, because you're in a conflict, we're going to be elevating our voices on both sides, louder and louder and louder and louder, because we want to win. But that's not our goal as believers. We don't want to win. Uh, we want peace. We want harmony. And when people are inflated emotionally in the midst of a conflict, when we say those magic words, I was wrong, please forgive me. What do I need to do to make this right? It's like letting the air out of those balloons that are rapidly being inflated. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you respond to somebody who says, I was wrong, please forgive me. What can I do to make it right? Wait, you're not fighting anymore. <laughs> yeah. It really does deflate the situation. I think of Proverbs 15, one, 
gentle answer turns away wrath, but an angry word incites more strife. That's a powerful verse. Indeed it is. I've got two last points I want to cover, Frank, before we wrap this up. The first is from Matthew chapter five, and it deals with saltiness. And it doesn't tell us that you need to do more to increase the level of salt in your stockpile. Mm. Jesus simply says, you're the salt of the earth, period. It's our identity as Christians. It's who we are. It's who Christ made us to be. So we are the salt of the earth. Our job is to maintain that saltiness by constantly protecting its purity. Mm-hmm. So, so that's important. They don't have to work hard to do this. They just have to embrace who they are and believe the truth about what Father has said about them, don't they? Yes, they have been, as Romans 5 says, saved. Greek word sozo, made whole. And I think what that means is that God has come back inside of man. So he is preserving love. He is peace. He is patience. He is gentleness. So we can be the salt of the earth because he is expressing his life in and through us as the vessels of life. That's who we are because he is in us. And that's just mind-boggling and praiseworthy of who he is and what he's done. We can finally live, John, the way we always wanted to, but lack the power before. That's right. But there is one, my friend, who doesn't want that to happen. Uh, <laughs> and so when we face these conflicts and you know we, we know what we should say, I was wrong, it's almost like if you remember that old Happy Days episode where Fonzie <laughs> had to say he was wrong. He said, I was raw, raw. He just couldn't get it out. Yeah. And I'll tell you, friends, this could feel like the hardest thing, the most vulnerable thing you can ever do. But I tell you, Jesus said the blessed are the peacemakers. So there is a blessing in being salt. It may not seem like it at the time. It might seem like an absolute nightmare unfolding on you. But there is a blessing to being a peacemaker, to being salt, isn't there? Hmm. Yeah, John, and you know, I think it's only hard to say if you're still living out of that lie that you have to be as God. I mean, once you realize that you are not God, that there is one God and it's not you, then you can finally have the freedom to be human. And guess what? Humans don't always do it right. And so, you know, before I had my eyes open to the new covenant, it was very hard for me to say I was wrong. But now it's so much easier because I'm not perfect. And so, I will mess up. And I love Proverbs where it says the righteous man never sins. Well, that's not what it says, of course. It says the righteous man falls seven times, but he's righteous because he keeps getting up. I was wrong. Now let's try again. (laughs) And it's a wonderful thing to be human and not have to be God, especially when you don't have the resources to be God. Yeah. And then uh, it can get even harder when 
you do all these things, you, you say you were wrong, you, you go through all these motions and you trust that things will resolve and the person just simply says, no, I won't forgive you. Mm. I will carry this pain to the grave and mm. I will continue to haunt you and make you miserable as long as I possibly can. And so that's out there, my friend, you know, it is you've experienced oh, yes. it. I have as well. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we go back to your combat back in Romans that do everything in your power to make peace with someone, but sometimes you just can't. Mm -hmm. And when you can't, I love what the Holy spirit said, you are called to peace. And, you know, John, Janet and I, we have had to separate from people and uh, because there was no peace and they would not attempt to have peace. And our hearts are open for peace, but we don't actively pursue it with them anymore uh, to continue to actively pursue it over and over. It would be almost like a, a detective or a prosecutor coming after somebody. And I don't believe that's what we're called to do. Uh, Jesus made it very clear. Now, of course, this was in the context of evangelism, but he said, you know, the fields are white unto harvest. That's where you go. And I don't think he would have us because he also says to Paul, redeem the time. I don't think he would have us con continuing to over and over and over again, try to knock down a door of relationship that another person doesn't want to open. And so sometimes you have to separate and hope that the Holy Spirit will so work in a person that they will open the door. And I've had that happen. I had a person come to me after years where we had separated and the person started off a conversation by saying, you don't love me anymore. And I said, oh no, you're mistaken. I've loved you more than I ever have before. And they said, well, then why are you separated from me? And I said, will you listen? And they listened and we had a wonderful restoration. So sometimes you have to move away and trust the Holy Spirit. And that's what I love about the Holy Spirit. He says, at that point, you're called to peace. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed. Just keep trusting that that door will open. And perhaps another one, I think we did this one already, John, maybe we haven't says, pray for one another. You can certainly keep praying for them. That's right. And this applies to uh, family relationships, friend relationships, casual relationships. And it happens in marriages too. Sometimes you just need to separate for a while until you can get things sorted out. Oh, my friend, this has been an interesting time. And realize folks that uh, being the salt of the earth has nothing at all to do with your diet or your high blood pressure. Uh, it's, it's really simply a call to you uh, for personal obedience to your father, submission to your father, saying, yes, sir, I trust you, even when I don't understand you, I trust you. And so I'm going to step out in that faith. You know, it's saying, my friend, it's saying no to those sins that constantly beset us, not because the sins are wrong only, but because those sins will dilute our salt as well. And saying, yes, Father, I trust your life in me. So let's go do this. Wow. Mm. Easy phrase, my friend, but uh, 
Mm. It's uh, without Jesus, it's impossible to live. Yeah. As we wrap up, what last insight do you have for us? <laughs> well, I, I keep saying it throughout this whole series, John. Don't try to be salt. You will fail. He wants to save you, Romans 5, 8 through 10, by his life. His death saves you from your sin, but his life saves you from you. He has a patient life when you don't. He is a kind life when you want to maybe slap that person in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, that's right. <laughs> his life will save you from you. And so this is not a walk of manufacturing, but it's a walk of receiving from him all that you need to function in love in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. That's right. Well, thank you, my friend. It's been a great time. And dear friends, uh, we were honored to have you join us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been talking about the one another's our take on life and the body of Christ. Please visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. Check out the stuff we have there. We've got some neat books available on Amazon. Pastor Frank's latest, which is Finding God in the Gray. What a title, The Lonely Path of Pain. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. And we've just fired up a brand new YouTube channel. So check us out there, Our Resolute Hope. Hashtag. And of course, on Facebook, Instagram, and all of the podcast avenues. And as always, we close with the same old reminder from Hebrews chapter nine, because Frank, no matter how many times we say this, it never gets old. That we have a hope, an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. You and I, we have decided to call it a resolute hope, a steadfast hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.